You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casaza joining you. Saturday evening, West Virginia has lost third straight game all in conference play 45 20 to Baylor. And here to reminisce, Chris Anderson. I'll just spare the glib stuff that people do or don't like and just kind of get to this. This was over early, which is exactly what West Virginia did not want and what they sought out to not do. And they tiptoe into an open week with um, dark clouds overhead and a lot of uncertainty as to what follows. I think that's probably the short, compact, and accurate way to put it. Yep, you asked me last week uh, or earlier this week what was more important, uh, a good start or a good finish, and my answer was a good start because I think if it was a sign that it, if there was a bad start, it was a sign that this team had given up, that there were players that had given up, and I, it's not everybody. Obviously, it never is. It never is everybody when you say a team has given up, but there are there were definitively guys out there who did not look like they wanted to be out there. And, and and showed, and when you don't have all you know eleven people on the field wanting to be there, wanting to 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 give their all and, and are focused at least mentally in the game, that's what happens because it looked like every other play there were at least two you know two guys on the field that just weren't weren't in it. Business decisions. Lots of business decisions. I yes. love I love that phrase. I love seeing them in the fourth quarter or late third quarter games, but they were early in this game. And, and again, by people who could know better and do better, uh, I was struck by West Virginia's defense that was made to look as bad as it played and played as badly as it did. I will give credit to Baylor. Their offense is way better than I predicted or expected against the defense. But in general, it's very organized. It's very composed. And when you aren't aligned, when you don't strain, and when you are, I would imagine, miscommunicating quite a bit in the back end and just look slow because you're either not sure or you're not ready um, before and during and after the snap, you're going to get hit with a lot of big plays like West Virginia did. Um, Look, it's 20 points again. The number is it's just what it is right now. Four 30-point games against FBS teams now. Um, and, and you're looking at like a, about a 20-point average in the rest of them. This isn't good, but the defense gives up 45. And then just what's, again, what's striking to me is the offense was so good, but the big plays, um, 75 yards in the second play from scrimmage, uh, a 44-yard pass, a 58-yard pass, a 29-yard touchdown pass, uh, two 30-yard runs. They scored six touchdowns. Four of them were runaways because the guy was just running away into the end zone or had run away and was in the end zone wide open. Um, the other one's a QB sneak and a back shoulder fade, which I'm not – fade, not even a back shoulder throw that I'm not sure was a touchdown. It didn't matter. Um, this is bad, Chris. This is this is like – you know, I said that this is an offense that or a program that didn't really need to worry about style points and beating teams and trying to, like, win with a margin or emphasis – the opposite is true. They have to worry about how they lose games right now. And 45-20 with an open week coming is, um, man, it's a big question mark right now for a lot of areas. I Let's start with the defense because last year, you know, they, they did the co-coordinator thing with uh, Jordan Leslie and Jamila Dye. And I remember before the season, 
I was like, I don't know how th- this is going to be a disaster as far as communication goes. Cause, cause at the time it was, Hey, yeah, who's calling plays. And it was, uh, you know, uh, we're going to have two play people calling plays and one's going to call the front seven and one's going to call the coverage. And I get that mo- for the most part, that's kind of how it usually works. Although th- th- everything kind of funnels through one coordinator most of the time, but I still at the time was like, there's no way it's going to work. And it did work. And I was just baffled at how successful it was. I couldn't believe it. And my understanding was at least at the start of the year that they were going to do that again with, um, you know, the, the secondary coach calling um, coverages, defensive line coach Jordan Leslie calling the front seven. Are we now seeing the communication issues from all of that? Because that, that, that's – these are the issues that I expected last year when I first heard of this, two guys calling the same play at the same time kind of deal. Is this, is, is this possible? Is that, could that explain some of it? You know, I'll take I'll take a cue from the coaches in the offseason where they said they wanted the defensive backs to make plays. Tackles are fine, but make plays. And how many times was the ball like batted in the air today and had a chance to be picked? And I'm not I'm not saying that you have to do that, but like, man, a second earlier on some stuff or just being near it and maybe you get the deflection. But I can see that being a valid gripe. I would also say just in general, the secondary hasn't been as good as they expected. I don't know how you could argue otherwise right now, but I mean, certainly you've seen a lot, like the, the familiar names and numbers chasing guys in the end zone when there's been problems back there. And when there's problems back there and you have two sixth year seniors, you kind of hope it would be better. Now, how much of that is spilled toward them? I don't know. Um, without knowing the calls and everything, that's difficult. But I I, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I think it's more streamlined this year. I think they're calling everything as it is. Um, I think that they probably got past that a little bit. It does seem like Leslie has control of it. So that shouldn't be an issue anymore. And if it is, something you got to fix. But I just give Beller credit for what they were doing. I, I, I typically don't watch the game with the volume on, especially in basketball. But in football, I like Mark Helfrich. And listening to him today was kind of enlightening because if you notice, he kept pointing out the formations and how it was all unbalanced on one side or all the people on the boundary and this, 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 this. And that struck me as unusual because as a head coach, as an offensive coach, you're noticing that, um, or as a head coach, you're noticing that because that's where you're going to get hit with something when there's a, I don't want to say gimmick because it's something they do every time, but Baylor's offense is almost a gimmick in that it's consistently obtuse and unbalanced things and formations that just look different. And everybody lit up on one side, shifting multiple tight ends. It's different every time, but they're doing the same thing. So you think you know something, but you don't, and it has you guessing. And I bet you that's your short circuit at West Virginia again and again. That's the only reason I can really explain Apart from like they were wearing 20 pound vests under their shoulder pads, why they were having people run by them and get wide open so often. Yeah, we, I was going to say, it was so the first couple drives, it was literally everything that we talked on the podcast yeah. and the three key matchups and the fresh set all happened on the first like two or three drives. Baylor did exactly what we said they were going to do. And it's not like, it, hey, everybody knows that I like to pat myself on the back, I like to pat you on the back. We were we didn't break some Da Vinci code here to figure out what Baylor was doing. It's not that tricky. Like mm-hmm. this is what they do. This is how they do it. This is when they do it, and that's how they've done it all year. And that's exactly what how they did it against West Virginia, and they just did it. And I think that that's the most alarming thing for me for West Virginia's defense is that Baylor did exactly what they were going to do, what they've always done, what everybody should have expected them to do, 
And West Virginia couldn't do anything, could not do anything to stop them. Um, and the big thing, the down that I said West Virginia had to win, they had to win first down, 7.4 yards per play for Baylor on first down. Mm-hmm. 7.4 yards. They were terrible on third down. They were third, third, three of 11, but they had zero third and longs on the day. West Virginia never put them in a tough spot, not once. And because they, they're the team that can't get out of that tough spot, and West Virginia never put them in one. Well, let me correct you, Mr. Anderson. Oh, no. Let me not pat you on the back. Let me slap you on the wrist. They have a third and 11 on their oh. second possession, and Taj Austin jumps. It's third and six. They get a gain of five. And because, as we talked about, Baylor will go for it on fourth down pretty much anywhere on the field, especially if it's fourth and one. From their own 34, they go for it. They get the first down. Next thing you know, 44 yard play to a wide open Tyquan Thornton. 14-7. They, they, they punched on the 75-yard touchdown. They got punched back when West Virginia looked, I mean, very, very confident on offense going down the field. Got lucky, too. I'm not taking that away from them, but they were due something good to happen on offense. Tip ball in the red zone. They catch it for a touchdown. Third and 11, you're thinking, oh, man, they got this right where they want it. Nope. Baylor is not good on third and 11, as evident by last week. As you as you pointed out, their third downs last week in the lost Oklahoma State were miserable situations. You cut that in half, and you give them two downs to get six yards instead of one to get 11. It's 14-7 the other way, and it never came back from that. I don't want to say that it was that was the turning point, but that might have been the turning point. Um, the turning point might have also been the second play from scrimmage or West Virginia's first snap. I don't know. We can debate that, but the, the game never came back to West Virginia from there. And again, man, you cannot create the margins. You have to manage the margins, and that was a big margin right there. It's five yards. It turned out to be, I don't know, what's the spread here? 25 points at the end, and that certainly contributed to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Something else with the defense for us, switch that offense, especially because you're making me think about that first drive again. But the defense, something that Baylor, I don't know if they figured it out or it was just it was their offense that kind of just naturally um, picks on this part of West Virginia's defense. But West Virginia's linebackers in pass coverage, mm-hmm. it's been an issue all year long. Um, you know, you know Josh, that's not Josh Chandler Tomatoes forte. It's just not. And that's, you know, players are meant to do different things. He's, he's not meant to be in pass coverage. Um, and on, on at will, extra low is pretty good. Lance Dixon is a different type, again, a different type of linebacker, except Lance Dixon was in there a lot on those first couple drives. And then they were also rotating in, I believe it was Deshaun Stevens, who, again, is not a pass coverage linebacker. He is more of a rusher. And then you end up with basically running three linebackers out there, and even Jared Bartlett and Van Darius Cowan, you count them. That's four or five different linebackers that are playing a lot there throughout the beginning of the game, and none of them are good in pass coverage. And Baylor just cross, across, across, right across their faces, across behind them. They didn't seem to know when guys were coming through their zones. Typically, um, you know, West Virginia runs that zone, runs the zone defense in pass coverage. And they're just not aware of guys running right through their zones and just don't see them, don't follow them. Um, and it, it was a, it was a problem. And I don't know if Baylor uh, purposefully, you know, planned for that. Or again, their big thing is to, is the short passes. And maybe that's just, that's just bad luck, not bad luck for West Virginia, but a bad, bad matchup. Cause that's what Baylor does. Well, their thing today was not short passes because they bombed no. West Virginia. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if that was something that, again, we've talked about it before, that West Virginia will squeeze you on the short stuff. And I wonder if Baylor said, all right, we'll try that if it's there. But, man, Jerry, keep your eyes – Gary, I guess, I'm sorry. Keep your eyes open. If it's open up the field, go for it. 
there were a couple plays today where I thought that he'd look through stuff to get to a bigger play and because he had it. There wasn't much of a pass rush. Their, their offensive line's better than I thought, too. I know we talked about how they were better and, and kind of mean, but they played really well and never were really threatened. Uh, no sacks and three tackles for a loss by the best sack second or best TFL second best sack in the Big 12 and what top 10, I think, in both in the country. And really neutralized West Virginia's defensive line. Save the moments that West Virginia's defense did look good when West Virginia was able to um, abruptly end drives or alter drives and turn a, you know, a second and two into a third and six or something like that. It was because the the defense did something up front. But as I said, just three TFLs, so it wasn't very often. Um, and then just big plays. You're talking 17.3 yards per pass, 5.1 yards per rush, 5.3 yards per rush, 8.3 yards per snap. And I hate to say it, that's kind of what Baylor's did all season up to this point, um, watered down a little bit against Oklahoma state. And you wondered, Hmm, is that the first, you know, sniff of competition and just not being up to that challenge? Mm, I'm going to say the opposite is true or West Virginia is not competition for Baylor this year, which might also be true. Um, to get a 75 yard play on the second play from scrimmage is, is pretty telling of a defense that just maybe isn't awake or wasn't ready for stuff too. And then, um, I don't. Did we, did we get into the the timeout before the first play? Because that was about as poetic at the end of this week as you could possibly be. As I say, if we're gonna let's let's flip the script and talk West Virginia offense and Oklahoma defense, and and yeah, there's your first play. You know, or write that story about West Virginia wasting all their uh, timeouts on offense. And at, I posted that at 10:30, I think, on Tuesday morning. At noon, Neil Brown gets asked about something similar by another reporter. Again, not us we this wasn't a plan uh on our part um another reporter for another outlet asked him about something similar with the offensive timeouts and, and time management and made a couple comments about it and that they don't use timeouts on offense the data says otherwise and then before the first snap i mean the very first play that's a delay of game it's going to be a delay of game but they have to call a timeout which was just it's a lot to take in that's that is hard to do that is very hard to do to have delay of game or call timeout on the very first play of the game yet i mean you almost have to be trying i'll say this and i i believe i believe they said this um on the broadcast but i couldn't hear because i was busy pulling out my hair but when oklahoma excuse me iowa state was at baylor iowa state complained about the clocks during the game and I think they said something to that effect during the broadcast, but I remember reading that. They after. did. They did. Um, and it could have been on Twitter. It could have been in one of the stories in, in, in AMs. I'm not sure. Maybe Des Moines. I'm not sure. But I remember that being something that was mentioned. So that could have been a thing. And Brown looked, to quote Neil Brown, pissed about that. Um, he was animated the entire game. Um, I mean, eight penalties, three for 15 on third down. Um, penalties are small over the place. Uh, they got, they got a, a penalty on a kickoff on a touchback. That's like trivia there. How do you do that? Um, and then again, just this, it's just a bad way to start too. You, you give up the touchdown fast and you're, all right, let's go offense, offense, let's go timeout. Uh, because you're just unplugging it there. And listen, it's small stuff. Does it really matter? No, but that's indicative of the picture you have right now, which isn't very pretty. And again, organization preparation, I think are things that you can certainly call into question after the way they've started these last two games. But here, here's my question, Chris, mm-hmm. how did this team get so far so fast from what we saw never mind early against Oklahoma but throughout the Oklahoma game I mean a dynamic defense a I would say a a sewn together offense that that stayed together when stressed um, and had chances didn't do it but 
when they said after the game, hey, we'll see Oklahoma and, and Dallas, it looks like neither one of those teams may make it. I'm not sure. Although Oklahoma has rallied as we're talking. I'm not sure uh, West Virginia is going to be there. But it was bold, but it wasn't insane to say that after the game. A lot had to go right. Nothing has gone right since, but it's happened so quickly. Where did that team go? I have no idea. I, I think the defense, it, it was point number one on my three immediate thoughts after the Oklahoma game was I was extremely concerned that this could turn out to be the reverse 2012 where the in 2012 where the offense was so good and the defense was so horrible that the expectation was the offense needed to score every single time they touched the ball mm-hmm. eventually it became too much and the offense kind of imploded and things on this whole season went south very quickly and I was concerned about that you can you cannot ask one side of the ball to do everything every week for so long and I don't know if that's what happened today because there, but it, it it's we saw glimpses of it last game against Texas Tech. A couple drives where they just weren't in it. Today it was the whole game basically. So I'm not sure what happened on that side of the ball. This side of the ball, I think Baylor schemed very well on defense. They knew mm-hmm. that West Virginia is good on inside zone, bad on outside zone. So they had that the two no almost like a, I think a lot of times they were running four fronts with the two two inside defensive linemen I guess we'll call them defensive tackles but one was like a nose and one a DN but they were pinching down in and forcing West Virginia out sometimes Luddy Brown was able to take advantage of that but then they were also just teeing off on those slants they know that I mean I'm sorry but it's the truth that Jared Daigie's number one throw and number two throw and number three throw is a slant. And they were teeing off on it. They knew it was coming the whole time. They were not only teeing off on the ball. Uh, there was a couple of times where they could have had a, almost had a pick six, but also the receivers. Uh, good thing uh, Esdale's okay. I mean, he's he's been taking a beating the last couple of weeks from these slant passes. But I think Baylor schemed up really well to take away the two things that West Virginia does well. And once that happened, that's it. There, there's just not much that West Virginia could do because I think even on that first drive. Um, was it three passes Four, yeah, three, three passes, four passes, three completions. And out of those four passes, I think maybe one was good. And that was that pass to Sam James. And that was again, just a quick slant, but he threw it on online and in front of him so that James could make a move and get to all that yardage after the catch. But the other passes, they were bad. Like the swing pass to Letty Brown, that was behind Brown. He had to wait on it. Couldn't get the first down because of that. Uh, then he just whiffed on a tunnel screen to Sean Ryan that probably could have been a touchdown. And then yeah. the, what ended up being a touchdown, he, it looked like he was throwing to uh, Petrie for Baylor and, and kind of just tipped up in the air and went to Sean Ryan instead. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. End of the first half. I can't. I can't do it anymore, Mike. I'll just say this at at 136 p.m. on this date, 
is when it became crystal clear to me that Brown is just working with what he has on offense and he knows that it's it's defective and he can only do so much and will is not going to change things. And the fact that he just sat on those two timeouts when he is always cognizant of his timeouts and using them and trying to get extra points of possessions, especially at the end of a half, um, to not do anything. And then not only that, but they get the ball back at 21 seconds left and just run an RPO, not even an RPO, a read play, I guess, a keep with their quarterback just to get the halftime down 18. And that's that's after taking three points instead of seven on the other end. So I think there he's just trying to do it and not and not go down worse than 28-7 or 28-10 when you get the field goal. Just go in and see if you can do something at the start of the second half. That that ends it right there for me. From bookend to the beginning of the season two, at that point, 136. We're trying to figure out why does this team behave this way? Why does this coach do what he does? So on, so forth, everything in between. That had always been a suspicion and whispered loudly to me, and, and I guess you can't whisper loudly, whispered and said loudly to me in conversations online, social media, that as you say, Mike, open your eyes. He doesn't have anything to work with here. And that's why he's sticking with this quarterback and maybe can't get it done, but the backup isn't it. Or that's why they're just running this conservative offense because it can't play tempo. It can't be aggressive. It can't do five or six or seven different things that you want it to do. And some combination, some amalgamation of a few of those things or all those things is absolutely true uh, based on what I saw there is that he knows and he's resigned to that now that um, this is probably a two and four team that could be a little bit better, but isn't because it doesn't possess what a lot of people want it to possess on offense and for him to sit there and say, I could try to get this ball back and do something with it, but I might also make a mistake. We might get sacked. We might throw a pick. We might lose a fumble. And then we're down 35-10 at the half. Uh, that was, I think, a risk he wasn't willing to take. And I think the case is probably closed there. I agree with everything you're saying there. And then my follow-up is, if the answer to why are you not calling timeouts to get the ball back to try to score – before halftime is it's far more likely that our offense is going to do something so egregious that the other team is going to score instead that I just can't risk it. Then we need to have a lot, a lot tougher conversations about this in the sixth game of year three. Let's get to that. Um, they're going to happen now. Uh, I think people are tiptoeing into the push guard center tomorrow morning. Uh, I don't know what happens. I don't know if people get fired. I don't know if they get reassigned. I don't know if a person who was doing this is no longer doing this, or if a person who was doing this is now elevated to do this. It could be depth chart things. It could be your starting quarterback. It could be people on the offensive line. Um, I think Jordan White had a chance today to become their starting right guard. I'm not sure Jordan Wright did much with it. Um, there, there's some things happening elsewhere on this roster right now. Bryce Ford Whedon doesn't start but ends up playing um, players in the transfer portal, players who did not travel. I think this is going to be an eventful week off the field, even though they're not playing. And I think they have to take this seriously because they're still two and four, but there's still six games left and they have to find a way to win four before they lose three, which is going to be difficult. I don't know where they begin though, is the thing. I think a lot of people would say quarterback, uh, Gary Green doesn't stand a chance behind an offensive line that plays the way this one does. And maybe that unleashes some of the good Garrett Green and he's running around and he's getting outside the pocket. You don't want him living out there. They've got to fix the offensive line. I don't know where or how they begin on that because they probably tried just about everyone and everything they can right now. And you can't, I don't know, do you change what you're doing there? Because I imagine what they're doing isn't so complicated because they, they have probably, I don't want to say dumbed it down, but they probably slimmed it down quite a bit so they can handle it. I don't know how you make it easier on them or how you do it differently. 
Um, you're not going to run, start running gap schemes instead of zone stuff because I would imagine that their guard center guard isn't particularly good at that right now. That's why they're not doing it. Um, they're not great at outside zone. Teams are taking away the inside zone right now. That middle for nose, that middle nose for Baylor is really, really big and really good today, <laughs> and he was excellent. Um, and again, they just took that away. I don't know where you start. Is it Jimmy's and Joe's? Is it X's and O's? It's probably a little bit of each. And this is this is harsh, but sometimes somebody's got to go. I don't know if it's a person coaching or organizing or calling the shots or playing a position, but you have to make change, especially when you have time on your hands. And in the season, it's hard to make changes because time is not a commodity you possess or can waste. You have time now, and you have to get serious. Otherwise, you are not salvaging this season. I asked everybody on the board, and I'm going to add, told them I was going to ask you. Mm. You, do, you do not need to name names. You do not need to say why even unless you want to out of 24 players 11 offense 11 defense kicker punter how many new starters does west virginia have coming out of the bye week give me oh, give me or give me an over and over and under i'm trying to think really quickly in my head here one for sure two three uh let's do five and a half five and a half i mean Okay, is this is this your thoughts or what you think Neil Brown will do? Well, what what will happen or what should happen are probably two different things. That's and, that's and, why I'm asking for clarification here. What's your five and a half for? I just don't think you can do that if you still have a chance to be bowl eligibility. I don't think you can throw it out yet. So, and again, like they just don't listen. We're talking about this whole thing about how they have to use their depth and they're not. Some of that is that they're not ready, and and some of that is that these players may not be here next year, and the coaches may know it too. So a developmental thing is kind of wasted. If a guy has already said or intimated or acting in a way that he's not going to be here, there's some of that going on. Absolutely. Absolutely there is. So it's hard to say, yeah, this, this guy stinks. So this guy could be better. Let's get him off the field and see what this guy does. I just think it's too early to do that. So I, I wouldn't see a whole lot. I bet you that 24 are up in the air and are, are, are on the table to be looked at and challenged. But I don't know. I don't know who's coming up and taking more than five of those spots. Like, I think an obvious one would be quarterback. I just have questions as to whether or not Brown's going to do that. I just don't know that he's going to do that. I don't know what more he has to see if he's not going to do it. So if, 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 if after these first six games and then today and then yesterday and the day before, all these times you sat down and talked about it, if, if that isn't more, if that isn't enough for him, what more does he have to see to be talked out of Daigie? Do you really want to experience that? No. So I don't know why he's going to change that. I mean, what's different today than wasn't there, like I said, yesterday, the day before. And then conversely, does Green perky up so much you know they're not changing their running back the receivers are probably who and what they are uh defense there may be some conversations there that's why you may get more of your five but really young on defense behind their top line guys too so there's a great reactionary um sentiment i'm sure especially after a day like this it may change to do that and again sometimes you have to change players but i don't know where that's going to come from you, you say over though huh no, I I don't know if it's over. I think if you if you ask me what I what it should happen, I am if this bye week were one more week and West Virginia was two and five, mm. I'd be in full developmental mode, full developmental mode. I mean, I, it would be a lot of it, it. Basically, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's it's an uncomfortable, tough situation of you, you know. Do you just tell the seniors sorry, thanks, but no thanks? Uh, for the last couple games, of course not. You don't want to do that. But if it is a tight battle, if it is something that's close and they're not producing, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit 
Letty Brown, for instance. I'm going to try to get him some some breaks, some breathers, but I'm not going to sit him. Maybe I'll look at other places where things are not quite as clear-cut about who should be my starter and and make some changes there. Me, personally, would I end up over five and a half? Probably. It'd probably be about there if you're talking all 24. Do I think Neil Brown's going to be as drastic as that? Six or more changes to the starting lineup? No. No, I do not. Uh, not unless... God forbid he's forced to, you know, due to transfers or something. But I, I think it's going to be below, below that. Um, and that got me thinking on the the running backs thing. I, I think it was like three weeks ago we were trying to find ways to get Letty Brown a breather, and I mentioned something about getting in the backup running backs for obvious passing situations so that they could pass block and just let Letty not take those hits. And then we saw today, Letty again is really good in pass blocking. And these backup running backs are not. No. At all. Like, terrible at it. And that's a problem as well. I mean, there's a lot of problems, and this is just another one. But that you got to find ways to give your running back a breather. And not forcing him to go out there and get hit on every blitz is one of them. And West Virginia can't do it. They don't have a home run hitter either. That's that's obvious. But when you just look at what Baylor does, which, again, if, if I'm if I'm a group of five school – and I have a head coach opening, I would really have a look at Jeff Grimes. I just think that what he does is excellent. And he's an offensive line coach. He's coming from the BYU school. He's got some Power 5 experience now. There, there's there's a track record there with him, and he's going to get a good enough staff, and they'll be good on offense because what they do is simple. It's very easy to teach and rep and be good at. All you have to do is change the window dressing, right? Um, like they're, they're doing the same things over and over and over, but they're just changing different formations and pre-snap stuff. So practice the plays. And then, you know, during the week, you're putting different formations and a different pre-snap stuff. So I, I think he's smart and he's going to do it. But it gets your guys open and they have people who can run away from you. Like Thornton had about 240 yards receiving coming into today. They schemed up ways to get him open because he's a guy who can catch it and run. Uh, Estrada, I mentioned him, uh, hadn't seen a whole lot of him, but he can get up and get balls and he can run away from people. They're off, they're Ebner and um, Abram, oh man, what's his name? Davis? Smith. Smith. It, again, a guy who can run away from you and do things like that too. They're tight ends. Are, are playmakers as tight ends too, not because they get open, but because they can block and do plays, but they all, they can also run corner routes and do things to get open. So I don't see any of that on the offense for West Virginia and moreover compounded by the fact that they're not getting sprung open by their ideas and their, their schemes and their philosophies. And, you know, if you're marching the ball by running like seven yards slants, cool, but you're going to have to do that 12, 13, 14 snaps. And then when you get close, like this happened again and again today, I guess twice, but again and again, but they slant it down the field, and then all of a sudden, Baylor stepped forward and just closed those doors, and you have to kick field goals because it's not open. And West Virginia's just not very good at throwing over the top in the red zone right now. Um, this, this, again, comes down to four possessions, two touchdowns, two field goals in the red zone. And one of those touchdowns is Garrett Green walking in late in the game. So really, one touchdown, two field goals when the game was in the, again, formative stages, which is extremely brief. But still, when the starters are in there, you're trying to get sevens instead of threes, and they can't do it. Um, and in my head now, let's see here. 14, 14 field goals in their last 35 red zone possessions. It's not going to do it. No, excuse me, 14 field goals in their last 35 red zone scores. That's not going to do it. That's a, Yeah, that's a pretty high percentage. Um, all right, let me give a quick silver lining, although I'm not sure we're allowed to talk about this. Uh, perfect game and all that. But uh, Casey Legg, 27 for 27 on the year, I believe. Really good. Not Too bad. good. What if he stunk? Would they be going for field goals? No, they're probably going for touchdowns, right? Casey, yeah. take it easy, buddy. Help your offense. Like, hook one. 
Shank won, right? Maybe he'll go for it on fourth. No, excuse down. me, twenty-eight for twenty-eight because of that last touchdown. So yeah, twenty-eight for twenty-eight now on the year. I mean, a good story. And then uh, Staley, I thought had a, a decent effort on a, on an onside kick today. That's hard to execute, but that's one of those things that um, the the guy realized he couldn't fair catch it because he dinked it off the ground. So it hit the ground, so he couldn't do it, and then it went right through his bread basket. You just couldn't get there. Um, took a swing at it. I don't know. I thought they might onside earlier in the game. Actually, I thought they had one up their sleeve. And they did. It was a good effort. Uh, punting, uh, not a problem today. Just so again, hey, kudos to the special teams, except for the 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 penalty on the touchback. That's <laughs> that's brutal. Yeah. One of those days. It was one of those days, Mike. And and now you know, looking forward, we'll be back later this week talking. We're still going to do the mailbag and stuff, but this is the most important recruiting week in Neil Brown's time here, easily. And I'm not just talking about high school recruits. He's going to have to re-recruit. <clears throat> he's going to have to re-recruit players that he's already recruited, that he's already gotten committed, that he's already signed, that he's already played. He's going to have to recruit everybody to not yep. only stay on the team but then join in the future. Because um, it's it's you end with, you go into a bye week with three straight losses, especially the way that West Virginia has there's going to be some issues and they're going to have to have some tough con- They've already had tough conversations. We've already seen two scholarship players go into the portal this past week. Uh, could be more coming up and they're going to have to recruit guys to stay, to stick, to, you know, keep coming back and, and, and doing this some more. So it is the most important week in recruiting everybody for Neil Brown. Well, because here's why. And I can tell you this because I've talked to people who, and you probably know this too, but I've talked to people who do personnel and recruiting stuff before, and they told me this too. There comes a point in the season where you have a break, or you just you're you're aware of your list and your targets or your possibilities, as well as your needs. So, and all of a sudden, maybe you've had people go in the portal, or maybe this one guy isn't so good, and you're not sure about him next year. Maybe this guy is great and he's going pro earlier. Either way, you have a need somewhere, and you know who you recruited against, or you know who you targeted, but that person surprised you and went somewhere else. You never end it. You never burn the bridge in recruiting. And all of a sudden, you see that that four-star blank, let's just say whatever position, quarterback, cornerback, whomever. Wait a minute, West Virginia's two and four? We need a player at that position. Let's reach out. Let's see what's going on. Let's get back in the game and see what we can do. And yeah, here Spencer Rattler might be available. <laughs> Sorry. Again, that's how quickly things can change in this, too, but... Uh, I, you're right. They're going to be they're going to be fencing this week. They're going to be trying to be on offense and defense, and then try to strike back and, and make sure they don't get struck too much. And they're going to have to do some work again. This is this is a really big week, and it's right in the middle. Half the season's left, but God, their second half schedule is brutal. Yeah, it's it's not going to get much easier. They, they're back on the road after the bye week too. It's not like they they go Which home and get rested up. Maybe good. You think so? Do you think are you maybe good as in you? think that if they were at home they might be getting booed that's certainly a possibility they might be mm-hmm. looking up at like thirty-eight thousand people forty-two thousand people um yeah. no one's ever confused tcu with having a great home field advantage a lot of this group has wanted tcu to really get the, the motor going a couple years ago brown can hit them over the head for a week about how they've lost seven straight games on the road and you just i think being away is good you turn it into a business thing and you make this serious um this, this should not be a fun week for anybody. I'm sure part of it's going to be like, hey, let's take a break and take a step back. That's cool. Get down to the business when you get there. And having to go on the road and play a game that I think you're going to be a uh, – I don't know. The line would be interesting on that. I would say an underdog, probably like 
five to seven points, something like that. Probably. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if they were set, they were seven point underdogs at, to Baylor. I think they'll probably end up about that, maybe worse uh, after this performance. Kind of, I guess it kind of depends on what TCU does this week and next. They were the game. Two, they were two point dogs today. Was it just two? I thought it was what? Yeah, and the over under was what forty two yeah, and a half. That, that was gone by halftime, right after halftime. One team had that in three quarters. <laughs> the team that won. Points matter. Um, and, again, just, that's the hard thing right now. So the uh, the defense has to get fixed. But, man, even if your defense is bad, your offense has to be able to pick them up. And I'm not saying you got to win when you when you give up 42, but you got to be in the game a little bit during the game there, too. So And, really, this was 45 to 13, 42 to 13 by the time the starters came out. And again, at 14-7, it, it got away. It just never came back to him. And you kind of felt like this team does not have the punch back it needs to, to get to get itself right into the, to win that game. Never never thought that was going to happen today. We'll have, uh, I guess, more coverage of, of this game later uh, when we hear whatever Neil Brown had to say or any updates. I don't think we're going to get them on Tuesday. Yes, we'll we will. Put up, oh, we will. You get Neil Brown on the Big 12 call Monday, and he has oh. he's contractually obligated to do that Tuesday thing. Oh, well, that's nice. I thought we were by week we weren't getting it. Maybe we just don't get the assistance and players. But correct. Um, so I guess you will get Neil Brown on Tuesday, everybody, and we'll have updates from that. We'll have updates from after the game. Um, and you know what? Like I know people are going to think, ah, oh, yeah, oh, team's doing bad. Of course, it's quote basketball season. It was always going to be basketball week this week. Uh, it is a bye week. We're going to do some recap of what's going on with West Virginia, what can change moving forward. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to do a little bit of basketball stuff, or at least uh, at least I am. I'm going to talk about it some. I got some thoughts on that season. Uh, might be time for for my preseason preview and prediction piece. But um, you know, we're less than a month away now for West Virginia basketball. So yeah, and there may there may or may not have been a secret scrimmage going on today. Uh, against a team that's not named Smaton. Doesn't rhyme with Smaton. It's not from the Atlantic 10. No, definitely not. Not flying high. Mm-mm. No flying high. Doesn't have a former VCU coach. Not that team. Not that team. Obi Tobin did not play there. <laughs> Anyways, plenty coming up on the site. Um, we'll try to get you in a good mood, best as we can. Um, I had basketball stories on my sleeve. You stole my thunder, Chris. There you go. There you go. Oh, well. Well, until next time, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. I'm going to go check my mentions. Should I or should I not? You should not. You should. You should. No. Never mind. I'm going to pull that back. I'm not going to say it. All right. Well, I'll talk to everybody tomorrow then. (laughs) We'll see you next time.